Yeah. So good morning everybody and uh, yesterday we talked about uh, neo-historicism, we talked about art, we talked about the idea of accomplishment in art and music and the idea of the social uh, the social kind of what's the right word for it value attached to art and music right yeah and it's not a commercial value so what we are going to do today is we're going to talk about the idea of the human being right and the idea of marriage and the idea of value right and uh, we when we talked about art yesterday we were talking about this idea of the bourgeoisie right and the idea of uh, an upper middle class kind of family uh, in a small uh, uh, kind of country establishment which is very close to london right and london of course doesn't of course it was a big city but it, it wouldn't be a big city like the way it is today right yeah it's almost a city that uh, one gets lost in and you can't cycle around the whole of London, maybe people do but uh, you, if you've got a job to do, you can't cycle around Delhi or Bombay or London anymore, right? Yeah, if you're a cyclist, maybe you could do that a long time ago but we're talking at the age where even cycles didn't exist, right? So I, I think that's important to consider that cycles didn't exist, people had to go on, around on horseback, right? And uh, these are very serious uh, technological changes that we've probably encountered. But the question is, when we talk about the text speaking to us, right, and the text being relevant to us uh, today, I think that's extremely important because we find that there is this whole kind of uh, value regarding, to, regarding birth which is something that we talk about uh, in uh, a person called uh, Kaufman, right, who is a Kafka critic, right? He's talking about fascism and he's talking about by your very birth you are damned. That's the, his definition of fascism and he takes the idea from Kafka's trial which Judith Butler and all these kind of people are also taking up and using in different ways, right? Judith Butler uses uh, Kafka's trial uh, and K, right? And the idea is the man before the law case and that's uh, a kind of a universal of uh, this idea of being the outsider and the political situation in the world today, right? Yeah, so that's one, but we get other ways of, of fascism which are not recognized as fascism, right? Which are social kind of fascist tendencies that people have all over the world, right? And one of the tendencies is about value in birth, right? Yeah, and uh, here you have this, first of all, you have letter, and I think uh, one of the problems I'm facing is that when we're dealing with this text, it's just not easy to talk about it and talk about, just talk about uh, Jane Austen in the abstract, right? I could do that, but that would be uh, too uh, well, too superficial a treatment, right? Yeah, because uh, it's not that your people who already uh, have delved into literature, uh, yeah, and are able to 
uh, understand fiction, right? Or maybe many of the people who are attending the class still have not read the text, and maybe they won't read it, right? Uh, that's uh, without any illusions. I'm saying that, right? Uh, yesterday, of course, we talked about reading, uh, reading the uh, the images, reading a portrait, and we we're also talking about we also talked about the idea of reading, right? And Harriet and Emma talking about reading and the idea of the book which becomes, or the novel, becoming an important kind of uh, a social um, awareness, right? Or a kind of a social um, um, elitism, right? How many novels have you read? Have you read the latest novel, right? All those kind of things become important, right? And of course in literature, we're not talking about how many novels you've read, right? But how well you've read the novel, right? Yeah, it's not about numbers anymore, right? Because uh, the question is how closely have you read the novel? How critically have you read the novel, right? And what is interesting about the novel over here is the idea of writing and writing letters, right? And Bob Martin writes a letter to Harriet, right? Now, the idea of writing letters in the novel we've seen from before, right? Uh, we've seen in... Uh, in many other texts, right, that you have what you call the epistolary novel, right, and this is not about an epistolary novel, but it's about a novel that's problematic, okay, uh, in as much as uh, it's talking about a letter written by a person. I'll just come back because I have to open the door. The woman will come to clean. So when we talk about the, no the novel, here you have the, the fact that this person called Mr. Martin, right, writes a letter and the letter is important in as much as uh, Harriet shows the letter to uh, a person called uh, Emma, who is the novel is named after, the pro is the protagonist of the novel, right? Now, uh, that is a very crucial kind of a node, as we call it in narratology or in, uh, the na uh, in, in fiction, right? So the node actually means there are two or three parts when an incident takes place, right? Uh, which the novel can travel to, right? Uh, this is something that we have in Aristotle, he, which he calls the plot, right? But of, of course what happens over here is when there is a conflicting situation, you have different ways your novel or your narrative can travel, right? Yeah, and here the letter becomes this, uh, the point of conflict or the point where the narrative can change, right? And that's when it becomes, uh, it's not easy to know which way the narrative will move at this point of time, right? So when you're reading the text, you, can, you can't guess what the story is, right? You can't guess what's happening, right? When you come to know that the letter has come and the letter is written by Mr. Martin, right? Or you can't get to know what's going to happen, right? Of course, by the end of the chapter, you would uh, come to know that, well, uh, there is uh, Emma who's trying 
to rule the life of uh, Harriet, right? Yeah, and is trying to force decisions in a particular kind of way, right? Yeah, and it's interesting largely because today we are working in a world where letters are shared very freely or anybody can share a letter and nothing is confidential anymore, right? Yeah, we might think that our internet letters are confidential, right? Or our love letters might be confidential, but you always have the surveillance. And of course, in India, we have a very low kind of surveillance, right? And the idea also of the private is not important, right? So there are a number of issues that are coming here uh, with the letter, right? Yeah, and the letter becomes an important mode of the novel, especially if you take a later novel like Wuthering Heights, right? The letter is given across, right? Uh, Nellie Dean uh, writes, uh, Nellie Dean writes a letter, right? And uh, uh, Mrs. Dean, right? So uh, whatever the the characters, yeah, Catherine writes a letter. This one writes a letter. That one writes a letter. A letter becomes very important, right? Yeah, and the fact that letter writing is talked about over here is even more important because the the idea is that this is a man who's written a letter. Yeah. In India today, of course, the problem is, can you write a letter in correct English? Yeah. And the minute you have somebody saying that, well, I've got a letter, but the person doesn't know English, right? And that's a kind of indictment of the person who's written the letter, right? And especially, of course, in the days after you have your spell check and your grammar check, right? If you still don't write or don't know how to write English correctly, right, then there is a huge problem, right? Of course, you, uh, we are living in the, in the world of internet where uh, you don't mind an occasional error and because everything goes very fast, right? And sometimes before we finish the letter, we, we uh, hit the send key, right? Yeah, so that's uh, something that we have to think about because, uh, of course, with the Riyadh Chakravarti case, even a WhatsApp message suddenly becomes more important than anything else, right? Not the physical proof of whether people actually have drugs or had drugs, but the verbal becomes, the verbal on WhatsApp becomes important, right? Yeah, and the kind of privacy, uh, it actually shows us that privacy is not even important because the security agencies which actually have to preserve privacy of whoever they're investigating, right, is thrown to the wind because they've leaked it out to the media, right, yeah, so uh, what is that and what the politics behind that is, uh, we don't know, I don't know, right, and we just make conjectures and guesses about it, but uh, that's not even good enough, right. Now you have over here uh, a lot of complicated things happening with the letter, right, uh, yeah, would anybody like to talk about it or uh, would you not like to say anything about the, the letter and talk about it? Yeah, how, how do you think the letter operates? Because the letter opens a whole Pandora's box, at least if it's not a whole Pandora's box, it gives you two people talking about the letter and talking about the proposal, right? Yeah, and it's a, a letter which is called uh, a proposal, right, yeah, 
and it's a proposal of marriage which is the prime concern of a woman called Emma in the novel, right? And of course, the letter and the comments of Emma about the letter are something important, not only about the letter, but also about the idea of where and what are our ideas about the social status of this man called uh, Mr. Martin, right? Yeah, so you might uh, like to think about it and this becomes uh, interesting and problematic because we are talking about what we have in India uh, in a different way which is called a different kind of Brahmanism which is happening over here, right? And this is a kind of Brahmanism which Gramsci is talking about on the basis of something called uh, uh, accomplishment or culture, right? Yeah, and it's not about money, right? Okay, it's, it's definitely not about money, but it's talking about culture and who has a culture. And that's an interesting kind of debate, okay? Especially because it happens in the next chapter after the letter, uh, you have this, bit, uh, this kind of discussion between Knightley and Emma, right? And what is interesting about that is it's actually showing us where the man and the woman stand, right? Yeah, but before that, let's go to the letter and see what happens to that, right? And, uh, well, it's a lot of things which are interesting, right? Because it actually tells us that not many people know to write, right? At that point of time in England, right? Though they might speak English, they don't know to write English, right? And they don't know to write a good letter and a correct letter. And of course, Eva is attacking uh, Mr. Martin on the basis of culture. Because he says, she says, look, he might be a gentleman farmer. He might own a farm, right? And that's where uh, Harriet has been taken and she falls, uh, she's very enamored or somewhat enamored by Mr. Martin because she's a young person, right? And uh, uh, well, if you take it uh, to this idea of uh, Emil Zola and the naturalist, right? Uh, a hormones might be up, right? But all those kind of things don't appear in the novel because uh, that's a very uh, sophisticated and polite society. They don't talk about sex at all, right? Yeah, and uh, that is probably when the age is turning, right? You have all the references in Swift. You have uh, a lot of direct references in uh, uh, fielding, right? Yeah. And here you get no references at all, right? And it's a very polite kind of society, right? Uh, so the idea of politeness is already coming in. It's not quite the Victorian age, right? It's a romantic age still, right? And what is interesting is that here we're talking about people and Mr. Martin belongs to the idea of the gentleman farm, right? And we must remember this idea of elitism that we have in the neoclassical age, right? That is uh, the age of the city, the age of rhetoric, the age of polite speech, the age of manners and mannerisms, right? Yeah, so we're talking about that and we're talking about this idea that here we have a person who's actually uh, 
still caught up with Victorian, uh, with the neoclassical values, right? At one level, right? And we must remember Miller Moore's line where she says, rustic is ruder than Gothic, right? And when we talk about the romantic, we are actually talking about the Gothic, right? Because the Gothic influences romanticism in a big way, right? Now, uh, we must keep Frank Kermode's statement in mind that Emma is a person who, uh, sorry, Jane Austen is a person who lives in the romantic age, but there's nothing romantic about her. So we might need to think about it, right? And that you find in an essay called The Drunken Boat, right? So uh, what is interesting and what is uh, a problem, right, is first of all the idea of a letter, right? And the idea, the letter is, uh, as we already know, when you write things down, right, uh, then, then you are subject to uh, a lot of, uh, I mean, I, I don't know about the WhatsApp and the, the emails, right, but, uh, and nobody knows whether these things are taken seriously, right, because uh, they might be taken off, right, like some of the news is taken off out of major journals because of political pressure, etc. Right? Yeah, and uh, of course, in social media, you can delete uh, uh, an unwarranted message, etc. Right? Yeah. So all those questions are there. In some some places, it stays for 24 hours. Right? But the idea is from uh, this person uh, in rhetoric. Right? Uh, what was his name? I'm sorry, I forgot his name. Can somebody remind me? He's one of the uh, the post-Aristotelians, one of the Senecan kind of people, right? Uh, I'll get his name, right? Uh, yeah, he actually says that you don't commit things to writing, right? Yeah, and that's something that is a, a big part of uh, writing down things, right? So when you write it, you have to revise it, revise it again and again and again, right? And that's what Pope and uh, Johnson and the neoclassicalist think about, right? And when one writes a letter, right, it's almost as if that is final, right? That's why a judgment, okay, of the court is actually looks at letters that are written. Because the letter and the letter writing, you might try to forge it, but it's not very easy to forge somebody's letter hand, right, the writing, and it's not easy to forge a signature, though there are people who do that, right, yeah, it's not, it's not easy, it's not impossible, but it's not easy, right, now, uh, we are talking about a condition of writing, right, and we are also talking about the idea that letters for a long time are read orally, right, and uh, it's not that they read silently, right? In some places, like in India, I wrote a paper on the postcard, right? When the postcard reaches the village in India, right? The whole village sits down and one person who is uh, a, an educated man reads the postcard, right? Yeah, and that's something that's interesting and important because uh, this is a culture which moves from the oral to the uh, the written, right? Yeah, and uh, people like Walter J. Ong 
and other people who are talking about orality are talking about what happens over here, right? Of course, when you have letters and you have one person in the village being able to read, that means your culture is no more an oral culture, right? Yeah, but the idea of reading a letter out loud is something that uh, has a long history, right? And reading silently has another kind of history, right? Yeah. So many people have the habit, and I've seen them in my own day. Maybe you've seen them too, right? Uh, of reading out letters that come, right? And the whole family gets to know what's in the letter, right? Now that's where a lot of problems begin, right? In fact, it is a, a, a friend uh, of ours, uh, a family friend once who asked me to read a letter and I said, well, it's private, I don't want to read it, right? No, she said, no, you must read it, you must read it. I said, well, if you want me to, I will, because I don't like reading other people's letters, right? Because it's supposed to be private, and I don't want anybody to read mine unless I've got to ask them about something important that is written in the letter, right? Yeah? So, the idea is, first of all, we're talking about private space, public space, right? And the idea of what is private, what is public, right? And with that comes the idea of friendship, right? Who are you willing to allow in certain spaces, right? When we're talking about uh, women's spaces, right? Or we're talking about uh, this idea from uh, uh, Elaine Showalter, right? Where she's talking about the, the kind of a private space that women have, right? Which no man can go into, right? Yeah, so that kind of private space is evoked over here in this idea of the letter, right? So you have this private space where women are talking to each other and are talking about a private issue, right? Okay, but the way it's depicted and the way it's described, it looks as if it's not private at all, right? And of course, uh, it's a love letter, right? One, if you want to call it a love letter, Right? And uh, it, it's also a kind of a contract or a contractual dealing. It's hinting and it's a proposal, right? Which you can accept or you can reject, right? When you get a contract, okay, and a marriage is a contract, that's by definition of law, right? And even if it's not by definition of law, it's a contract, right? Some people in India say, no, in India, marriage is not a contract, then what is it, right? Yeah, and if it's not a contract, uh, uh, then saying hello is a contract, right? Yeah, we get into contracts all the time and that's how we look at it from the idea of linguistics, right? Okay, uh, you smile at somebody, you say hello, please come in, right? That's a contract, right? Yeah, and the question is, when you meet a person and you make friends with a person, uh, the idea is, from the first meeting, you're always asking people well, should we continue, right? Is a friendship going to continue, right? That's a contract, right? And you see that kind of contract that you have slowly building up with Emma and Harriet, right? So that's one of the whole idea of the contract. And we must think about the contract because when uh, Martin writes a letter, Mr. Martin writes a letter to Harriet, right? This is something which is supposed to be private, right? And perhaps he doesn't have any notion that she will go and show it to Emma, right? Yeah, because normally when you write a letter, 
it's private, right? Yeah, and especially when you write a letter of a proposal, it's private, right? Now, the other thing is what happens to her as a person when she gets the letter, and that's where now the idea of a complex character begins to arise, right? Yeah, because it's not a very simple idea, and the conversation is very interesting, right? And uh, uh, to even dismiss uh, Jane Austen as not a feminist is a problem, right? Because she says too nightly, just because a, a man proposes doesn't mean that a woman has to accept it, right? Yeah? And the idea of women having a choice is something that becomes important, right? Though in India, we're still uh, we're doing exactly what Harriet does with Emma, right? Uh, and of course, it's not uh, a friend who's being asked, but it's a parent who's being asked, right? So many people say, well, this person has proposed to me, they go and ask the parents, and of course, the parents uh, get rid of it because of our Brahmanical considerations on the basis of caste, on the basis of uh, status, on the basis of education, okay, all those kind of things, right? And I'm not saying that they shouldn't or anything of the sort because people are still free to choose the kind of life that they want, right? Yeah? And the question is we see the idea of strength and the idea of weakness, right? And the idea of the idea of passion, right? The passion, the concern, okay, and the idea of a budding relationship, which is perhaps nipped in the bud, right? Yeah. That is, uh, here you have Martin, and you have Martin who is doing something which is uh, what do you call? What's the right word? And it's used in the text, right? Uh, yeah, obliging, right? Yeah, and he's being very obliging. That is, he's doing all the work that Harriet wants him to do, right? He's going and buying books which she wants to buy, uh, him to buy, right? Yeah, he's going and doing anything that she wants, right? And that's what you call obliging, right? Now, the idea, of course, over there is related to something that we get in a man called Marcel Moss, who is talking about the gift, right? When you give a gift to somebody, what happens to the person, right? Yeah, it's not about Buddha and Buddha saying, who's, uh, if you give me a gift and I don't take it, whom does it belong to the person who gave it, right? So he's talking about insults and all that. But the question over here is, what happens to the gift? And what happens to the letter, right? If somebody gives anybody a letter saying, will you marry me, right? And people take it seriously, right? And of course, some people are not even serious, right? Yeah, uh, you get a lot of men who are doing that, right? Even now, right? And of course, uh, there was one old student the other day who lands up in a problem and, well, and some of the old students try to protect him, etc., right? And uh, they came and asked me, what do you, what do you think uh, about him, right? And what do you think of what's going on, right? I said, well, if you, if you uh, uh, proposition a person to marry you, right? Yeah. Uh, are you serious, right? Yeah. And that's the first thing that a person will ask, right? Yeah. So the question is, what is the tone of the letter, right? 
What is the tone of the proposal? So these are questions that go into this chapter, right? Because when we're talking about uh, somebody writing a marriage proposal and we're talking about sentiment, we're talking about emotion, and we're talking about a contract, right? So the idea, of course, about the text is basically about a whole lot of matchmaking and marriages, right? And that's what Emma specializes in. But what happens with Harriet uh, is uh, a kind of a box, a Pandora's box which is open about the value system of uh, Emma herself, right? Yeah, and of course, you can take different kinds of positions, right? Like for instance, she's talking about a person should marry uh, her, uh, their equals, right? Yeah, and Martin is not equal to Emma, right? And that's the big debate that goes on between Knightley and Emma, right? And that's created by the letter, right? So the letter is a device to bring up and open out all these kinds of, uh, actually the letter is a key to open out different kinds of positions that people have, right? And what happens is uh, you have this uh, kind of tendency in Harriet, at one moment, she is probably very enamored of Mr. Martin and she actually wants to say yes, right? And I'm saying probably, please be careful about the words I'm using, right? It's not that she just taken up and all those kind of things, but when uh, many people might say, well, but Emma gives her rational advice, right? Okay, so the, the question is the romantic and the rational, right? So is, is that to be taken seriously? Because when you look at Emma's position, Emma is talking about the accomplishments of Harriet, right? And Knightley comes in with even more problems, right? And this whole idea of the male-female becomes important over there, right? Because he says, look, women think this way, men think this way at that point of time, right? And he's talking about something called legitimacy and illegitimacy, which opens a different area, right? Which has not been thought about in the relationship between Emma and Harriet, right? So he says, well, is Harriet actually of legitimate stock, right? And that becomes an issue, right? And that's an issue which we think about today, right? The whole idea of being legitimate and illegitimate and the law, right? So does, is the law important, right? And why does this idea of the legitimate come in, right? Um, yeah, you might like to go back to Lear and look at the first soliloquy of uh, Edmund, right? Uh, where he is an illegitimate child, uh, yeah, and uh, you have Edgar, uh, and yeah, so Edgar and uh, this is Edmund, right? Yeah, so what happens over here is uh, Ed, so he's, he's asking about the whole idea of legitimacy, right? Yeah, uh, why should, uh, uh, what's legitimate, what's illegitimate, right? And he's talking about love children and legal children, right? So the idea is you have a love child, right? And the question over here is interesting and important.
because the whole book is talking about marriage, right? Yeah, and Natalie gets up this point about Harriet probably is illegitimate, right? And what has Harriet got, right? And Emma's position is she is accomplished, right? But Emma doesn't get into all this kind of thing about who's a father, who's a mother, right? Why she come here to be trained, right? Why she come here uh, to be trained at all, right? So all those kind of questions uh, keep coming up, right? Yeah, and here she's come to uh, whatever the, Mrs. Bolat's house, right? And uh, all those kind of things, and uh, you get Emma, who's actually saying that well, she's highly alleged, uh, she's highly uh, accomplished, right? Or she's not a, a kind of a useless woman, right? And then the question is, uh, the, when the letter is scrutinized by Emma, she says, well, it's at least written in correct English and the expression is good. It's straightforward, right? Okay, it's not overfilled, right? And it's actually talking about how a letter should be, right? Yeah, so if, of course, the letter was full of spelling mistakes and grammatical errors, right? That would be enough to just condemn it and say, well, don't even look at this man, he doesn't know to write English, right? Yeah, that would be the kind of position that you would have, right? But that doesn't happen because the letter is written well, right? It's uh, the, uh, the organization of the letter and I think there's a mention about that, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. so the idea is uh, the organization of the letter is also important, right? Yeah, I don't remember where that part is, right? Um, yeah, but then she also gives you a kind of suspicion about the, the sisters and the mothers, prob the sisters probably helping him to write the letter, right? So I don't know uh, if that is done, right? But some people, even today, right? Yeah, when you have to write an important letter, you get people to help you, right? Because the idea is, once you put things in paper, or once you put things in writing, right, you can't change it, right? And it can be held up to scrutiny because our promise is made, etc., etc., right? So, you get a lot of people helping people to write some letters like this, right? And you might get a friend, right? Or, uh, and of course, this whole idea of the male and the female and all the, fe uh, all the sisters all help, right? Him writing the letter, right? So, I think that's something uh, which is a probability, but there's no proof of that, right? Yeah, so uh, the question is, that's a hint that Emma is giving, right? And also, what is the other uh, uh, title of Jane Austen's book, which is called Pride and Prejudice, right? Yeah, so the idea is, the idea of prejudice, right? Prejudice is something that works over here, right? And how does prejudice work? Right? Prejudice is to judge a person before you know them or by their appearance. Right? It's talking about assumptions. Right? And prejudice is what we have in India today. Right? And this is a national kind of disease that we have in India. Right? As we look at the Muslims and you're already prejudiced against them without even knowing who they are. Right? And you don't even care about them as individuals. And this is a kind of fascist prejudice. Prejudice because by your birth, your dad, 
right? That's that's as simple as it is, right? Yeah. So the the funny thing is that Emma's prejudice, okay, is about class, right? Is about accomplishments. Is about what is socially uh, uh, elite, right? Or equal, as she calls it, right? You must marry a person who's equal, right? Now that's an important kind of prejudice. As we began the uh, the novel, we talked about how does the novel work in India, right? How does the prejudice work in India, right? So I think that's a very important thing, right? Uh, of course, I've not seen this movie called Pride and Prejudice, right? Yeah, so you might uh, like to look at that, right? Because that's about um, the whole idea of uh, the Indian, um, the Indian postmodern Indian diaspora, etc. Right? I, I I don't want to get there, right? But what is interesting is the idea of prejudice is something important, right? And when Knightley comes in in chapter eight, Knightley is actually giving you another set of prejudices, right? Which you might like to call male prejudices. But it's not only men, a lot of women also have these prejudices, right? The question, of course, the prejudice is really problematic, right? And of course, in England and the United States, probably it doesn't exist. I'm saying probably not absolute, and it's definitely not absolute, right? Because they're talking about Harriet's birth, right? Is she legitimate? Is she illegitimate, right? And then, uh, what Emma says is, well, her father must be of quite uh, a good uh, kind of means of living, right? Now, it becomes economic, right? And of course, I must go to a book which I didn't read very properly and I don't know where it is. I hope it surfaces somewhere, right? It's a book that I bought here in Baroda, which is interesting. It's talking about uh, capitalism and fascism, right? Yeah, and how capitalism and fascism uh, actually are the same thing, right? Yeah. So actually, this is a proof of that, right? By because you're saying that well, if you've got money, right? Forget about whether you're legitimate or illegitimate, right? And the arguments are very important, right? Yeah. Of course, it's an argument about talking about the new class of people that come up in England, right? These are not aristocrats per se, right? Yeah. But these are what you call bourgeoisie who have come up, right? Yeah, like most of us in India are, right? Yeah, the aristocrats are people who own land in England, right? Who own land and acquired more land because of the law of primogeniture, which we talked about. And if you like, I can repeat it. Yeah, the law of primogeniture says the eldest son, eldest sons, eldest sons, eldest son gets all the property, right? The eldest son gets all the property. Right? Yeah, and all the other people don't have a lot of property, right? The second son gets an education, but not property, right? So the idea is education is pitted against property, right? Yeah, and the whole idea of having property, having more, right? And having a woman, right? The whole idea of having, right? Is something that the feminists, of course, uh, dis uh, get very disgusted with the idea of possessing a woman. Uh, and the whole idea of my wife, my husband, and all those kind of things, right? So it's uh, that's an issue that is uh, already there, right? But then the question is having property, right? So when we're talking about having property, what is this idea of having property, right? And how does one person get rich, right? So what happens in England is 
uh, we are not talking about Chaucer, we are not talking about anything, but by the time of the 18th century, uh, this law of primogeniture is a social custom which is uh, all around England, right? Yeah, and it's of course in India also, right? The, the men get all the, the wealth, right? Of the family, and the woman gets a dowry, and they think that the dowry is everything, and the dowry is very great, right? Yeah, but it's not. It's just a small fraction of what actually uh, should be if you're talking about an equal system, right? So the idea of equality in India doesn't exist, and we know that for, for sure and certain, right? But the idea is so that is something that feminism gives us, right? Yeah. So uh, when we're talking about this idea of means, we are talking about the idea of accomplishment. We are talking about, uh, and of course, the idea of merit, right? Which we are talking about in India also, right? We're talking about merit and pure merit, which doesn't exist, right? Yeah. So we are what we are because of the family we come from, and because of the uh, the economic status and the Brahminical status of our families, right? The cultural status, and that's not only with India. Gramsci is talking about it on in his essay on education, right? Because he's actually saying that well, there are people who have a lot of money, right? But they are not given any status in society, right? Okay, it's actually what in India we call the Dalit problem, right? Yeah. Of course, the Dalits don't have money because uh, the government laws have seen that they don't, uh, some of them, very few, right, maybe not even 0.2% or 3% have actually become industrialists and become big industrialists because the system is actually meant to see that they kept out, right? And we have to thank our good father, Gandhi, who uh, did all those kind of things when we talked about the idea of reservation, right? So I don't want to get into that. But the problem over here is, uh, the idea is that uh, money is one thing, right? Culture is another, right? So we are talking about a person who has money, but is not accepted in society, right? And we have the case of Ambedkar here in Baroda, right? In spite of getting educated, in spite of having an educational status, Right? People treat him very badly. They don't even give him water. Right? They keep throwing his files. They don't give him a place to stay. He used to stay in Kamati Bao, right? And that place is still there. Right? Those are the three, uh, the tree under which he stayed has fallen down. Right? Yeah. And the, if you look at how it's maintained, right? You can. It's actually a comment on what exactly we think of Ambedkar, right? And even today, nobody is going to uh, care about him, right? Yeah, because we already this kind of caste society which we can't free ourselves from, right? Yeah. So what is the prejudice over here? Yeah. So and of course, uh, what is there in the novel is it's showing you a society which you can come up, right? Because class or money or economic position is there, okay? And of course, the old guard will look down on you because they have become rich a, a while before you, right? Maybe they've been rich for 300 years, right? If you go to any traditional place, right? Any small town traditional place, right? Some people have become rich a long time ago. Now they may not be rich, right? You get that more in pride and prejudice than here, right? 
Yeah, but uh, yeah, in fact, that's talking about the people who become rich uh, because they come to India, right? Yeah, uh, and Africa. But what's interesting over here is we are talking about people uh, who have become rich some centuries ago. They've acquired land, they've acquired wealth, and their reputation or their kind of merit comes only from that, right? Yeah, which is very similar to our Brahminical positions in India, right? It's not about who you are, what you do, what you accomplish, right? Yeah, it's about who's your father, who's your mother, who, what family do you come from? Do you come from an upper caste family or a low caste family, right? Those are the considerations which many people have, right? Of course, and the novel is interesting because it raises up all these questions and the question is, is this really getting into what is called the modern, right? Because in the modern world, uh, and of course you might like to read uh, Oscar Wilde, A Woman of No Importance, right? Yeah, where this man, uh, Illingsworth, has uh, an illegitimate child by a woman, right? And promise her, promises her marriage, the typical kind of male um, uh, deception, right? Yeah, and uh, what he, yeah, so you get the word deception over here. I think that's again very important, right? And uh, uh, Harriet is warned not to be deceived, right? Now, that's a prejudice against men, but of course, there are many men who are deceivers, right? So you can't deny that, right? So the idea is that you might be deceived by him, right? Yeah, and of course. Uh, the devil is called the great deceiver, right? Yeah, so uh, it's almost as if all men are devils, right? And all men are out to deceive, right? Yeah, which of course is untrue about Mr. Martin, right? Yeah, he's not out to deceive. I don't think he is, right? And uh, as far as Knightley is concerned, and of course the idea is from a female point of view, you might say, well, he is a deceiver. Right? He is, he knows exactly what this woman is uh, out for. He knows that this woman hasn't seen the world too much. She hasn't met people, right? Now that's the kind of argument that you might have, but that's not even so because he is a kind of person in a semi, uh, semi-urban area or what you call a small town, right? Yeah, so that's he probably is not one of these elite kind of people that you have with Emma and her society, right? Now the question is, how do you become elite? The idea again is economic, right? That of course is a Marxist kind of analysis, right? But what is interesting is, that's exactly what happens and there is no question asked once you're established, right? Yeah, nobody asks, where did you get your money from? How did you become rich, right? Yeah, and did you go back 300 years, 400 years, 500 years ago, right? Because the, you have a traditional family, right? And over a period of time, nobody knows where you came from and what, uh, what was your position or status, right? Yeah, so that's something that is always a quest, right? Yeah, so the question is, how do you talk about the equal, right? And uh, here they're talking about, you must marry an equal. Right? That's the conversation between Knightley and uh, Emma. Right? So, uh, the, actually, the chapters uh, 7 and 8 uh, throw up all these very problematic positions 
which are still problems today, right? And if we read Emma, right, uh, and that's to answer uh, a, a senior of yours who I was not teaching the text, I don't know who was teaching it, and he says, well, uh, how do you, why should we even study this kind of text, right? Yeah, so I'm probably answering him, and if I meet him and I have a, a contact, right? Yeah, so the, what is interesting is, why should we study the text, right? You see that the value system that this book has, right, is still relevant in different societies, right? Of course, more so in India, because many people have consumed the text, and you have a breed of people who actually would say the very same things that are said over here, right? Yeah, I've actually heard my juniors, right, when there was uh, two people in love with each other, uh, and a teacher, of course, of uh, as you said, well, uh, they're not quite equally matched, right? Yeah, I don't know if you'll guess who the teacher is, right? But um, you won't, you might not be, right? But so he said, well, can a teacher talk like that, right? Yeah, can anybody actually say that they're not equally matched, right? And uh, who are we to say all these things, right? If we, okay, so that's the modern position, right? The modern position is if two people like each other. They have to decide, and that's a democratic position, and it's a non-authoritative position because it's actually saying if two people like each other, right, no matter what the economic background, no matter what the caste background, no no matter what the accomplishment background is, right, uh, you nobody has any right to interfere, right? Yeah, and maybe in the United States you have a lot of people doing that, right, and in Europe also, right, like one person uh, who is uh, from uh, uh, very much junior to me, uh, and a neighbor and a friend, right? So she was working in this company called Cisco, right? And she says one of her top bosses went to Arabia, right? She found a man who was selling fruit, right? She fell in love with him. She asked him to marry her, and she took him to the States, and they're happily married, right? Now that's something that Emma would be shocked about. Right? Yeah. And uh, you have that issue coming up in Oscar Wilde's A Woman of No Importance. Right? Yeah. So you have the American girl uh, who is in love with uh, Illingworth's illegitimate son. Right? Uh, and uh, actually says, well, what they care about in America is they don't care about who your father was. What is the father's status in society? Right? And we are also talking about a patriarchal order. Right? Or it's a question of who you are and what you do, right? Yeah, and then that's exactly when we find that what we are in India is we are not yet modern, right? We still are casteist. We still have these family heritage kind of things, right? We're talking about big heritage, of course. With modernism, all that has been squashed, right? Yeah, and of course uh, we don't know where if we'll actually get modern. Right, we don't know. That's a long process, right, of getting modern, and we must read Deepankar Gupta's mistaken modernity, right? And he's, he's actually talking about India, who's west west toxicated, right? So you'll get many people who talk just like the novel today, right? Yeah, a very a uh, lot of elite people who probably read uh, Jane Austen, right? And at the same time. The idea that Deepankar Gupta is giving us is which society will use words like beudya and anda 
and all these kind of things, right? Yeah, this is not a modern society, right? This is a, a very deeply prejudiced and a very partial kind of society, right? So what are we doing with the novel, right? The one is a novelist talking about English society. It's getting out a lot of prejudice, right? The prejudice of accomplishment, right? Which in India is easily done, much more easily done, because if you are from a certain caste, then uh, it actually implies that you've accomplished all these things. Actually, it doesn't, right? But that's how people look at it, right? Yeah. Just because you're a Brahmin doesn't mean you're educated or intelligent or anything of the sort, right? Yeah. But that's the assumption, right? And what this text is actually doing is assumptions of different people. Emma's assumptions, Knightley's assumptions, right? Yeah. And the question of the matching people together, right? And Knightley, what he says about uh, Martin is as important as what Emma says about uh, um, what's her name? Harriet, right? Yeah. So what he's actually saying is he's talking about the legitimacy. Is she legitimate? Is she illegitimate? Right? Uh, we don't know about a parentage, right? So that becomes a very important thing. Who are your parents, right? So what happens to a person who's intelligent? Okay. What happens to a person who's intelligent, hardworking, right? They don't have a chance in the world, and that's where it becomes very fascist, right? Yeah. And that's of course our Brahminical traditions in India, which we still hang on to, right? Yeah. And of course it come it comes back in various ways because the whole caste formation and this kind of a mentality is something that won't go away unless we consciously fight it. It's like fighting the fem uh, the, the whole idea of the patriarchy, right? Yeah. And of course this is also a patriarchal society because the idea is to train a person to be a woman. From a woman to be a lady, right? And the idea is accomplishments belong to a lady, right? So the idea of a lady and a woman is something that the feminist will talk about, right? The idea of being a feminine beauty, right, is actually linked up with this idea of ladylikeness, right? And how do you behave like a lady, right? And a lady is an upper class woman, right? Yeah, so that's exactly where the novel is interesting and the novel is talking to us because we still have all these issues in society, right? Yeah, we might not, not like to admit it and some people, of course, as they said, the simpleton, right, might actually admit it, right? Yeah, so you'll get a lot of people who say, yeah, what is he, what is she, right? What family do they come from, right? Yeah, and some people will openly talk about people's caste, right? Yeah. And that's exactly when we are not modern, right? If you talk about somebody's caste, what caste do they come from? What family do they come from, right? Yeah, and all that kind of thing. That means we are already into a very casteist kind of mode, right? We don't believe in perfectibility of human beings, which of course is something that is talked about also, right? So there are a lot of conflicting and problematic issues, right? Like uh, they say that in the proper company, right she'll be uh, changed right yeah if she's moved out of the place where she is right and that's when we come close to the idea of modern educators who are talking about environment right it's not about genes but it's also about environment right so when you talk about children 
and you talk about getting up children or adopting children, right? Uh, I remember having this conversation with my aunt who's adopted two children, right? And well, she, she uh, was telling me about her husband who's no more, right? And uh, he phoned her up, well, the proposal, he phoned her up and he asked her whether she'd marry him and she said yes on the phone. She said, can you imagine? I said yes to him on the phone, right? And of course, from a different community, a different, uh, I mean, all those questions were not asked and this is long, long ago, right? Because the children must be my age, right? Yeah. Uh, this is an old aunt, right? And what's interesting is uh, when uh, they were adopting the children, right? Uh, her husband again phoned her up and said, look, I've come to this orphanage and I want to adopt these two children. What do you say? So she said, yes, let's go ahead, right? And she didn't bother about it because she is still very much, even now she's very much in love with her husband, even though he's not alive, right? Yeah. So she was telling me that. She said, look, I didn't have any problems, right? And then she says, well, uh, people brought these issues up and said, what about genes, right? Yeah, that's again, genes is supposed to be scientific, but in India, they become casteist and they become racist, right? In the United States, they're racist, right? Because people actually think, okay, and of course, we go to the anthropologist because you find that in two chimpanzees, the genetic variation is tremendous. Right? Take two chimpanzees, you'll find one chimpanzee and another, they, they differ in their gene composition very, very much. Right? Yeah? You take the blackest human being and the whitest human being, right? And you'll find hardly any change in the genetic makeup. Right? And of course, I read uh, uh, an article in the India Today some time ago, right? Where people were trying to justify caste by genetic theory. Right? So that's the kind of modernism we are talking about, right? And that's a shame, right? Yeah? And of course, uh, our friend Johannes is no more, right? Because we might have liked, might have been a good uh, idea to have talked to him about uh, genetics. And he is one of the authorities in this university. The other one is uh, Sashikant Acharya. Maybe we'll call him, right? Because he has uh, a lot of very interesting kinds of points of view about genetics and I asked him to give a talk in Pune University, right? And of course, we had a person who had done his homework very well. Right? <laughs> and he came out with all these kind of racist statements, right? And Sashi is talking as a scientist, right? And this guy is coming out with all his racist jazz, right? And there's another friend of mine uh, who's a filmmaker and who's conducted a film course over here in our university, right? And that time, of course, I was a young student and uh, he was uh, a PhD student in the university, right? Uh, yeah, so I asked him, I said, what, what do you think about all these remarks? So he says, well, he's probably a right-wing fanatic, right? That's it, right? And of course, uh, I tried to make friends with the person and all of us were very kind to him because we got the impression that this man was really nuts, right? He's not open. He, he doesn't want to understand what genetic theory is, okay, he's, tr he's trying to justify caste and race, right? He couldn't justify caste because he would be shoved down over there, right? But he's trying to justify race, right? Which is also something that you have uh, when you have this man called Jesse Jackson, right? Uh, Jesse Jackson? No. Yeah. Jesse Jackson? Yeah. Yes. 
uh, the person who Hitler wouldn't shake hands with, though it won many gold medals in 1939, right? 39, I'm, if I'm got the year right, right? And what is interesting about it is uh, there's a lot of publicity. The Germans are racist 